Welcome to the What's the Word podcast. I am your host, Tiffany Johnson. Now, have you ever wondered, what does the Bible, Jesus, Christianity have to do with the current world today? Well, this podcast is going to take current events, pop culture, history, and from a biblical perspective, look at its importance today. As we go into the word, we're going to be asking each other, hey, what's the word? Hey, welcome back to another week of What's the Word, the podcast today. It's just me and you. That's right. Just me and you. Today, you are my special guest as we talk about important subjects. Now, with What's the Word, we talk about what's going on in the world and then what's going on in the Word of God. And a part of that is the human condition. That's why I like to talk about heart issues, because I find that it is universal for every single human person. Our internal makeups are not much different. We all feel the sense of love lost. We feel all the things that we can read in the Bible and go, wow, I struggle with that, struggle with anger. I struggle with disappointment or even depression, but also overwhelming joy of life and enjoying life and laughter. So today I wanted to look at the issue of shame and failure from a biblical point of view. We all experience failure. We all have experienced shame, whether it's our shame in our walk with Christ, shame with something that we deal with that might be private to us that people don't know about that we're wrestling with, that there might be even a sense of failure of dreams lost Every single thing that you can think of when you think of failure and shame, even maybe as it represents your own life, I want to look at it today through the eyes of Jesus and through the eyes of the Word of God as we approach this topic. So I only felt the way to open up this topic is to talk about my own journey with shame. Like I said, shame looks different for every single person. What you might define as shame, what looks like shame to you or failure to you, We all have our testimonies of shame or failure in our life and what that looks like and how we've had to walk that out and how it has looked like walking that out with other people and et cetera, et cetera, and especially with God. So when I was about in kindergarten, first grade, I honestly can't remember anymore. um, I was outside playing and a boy that was about my age came over to my house and um, he said that he was going to throw stones at my house unless I did something with him. Well, I was scared to death because I loved my parents so much. And so I corresponded with his actions and and obeyed him because I wanted to protect my family. Well, that led to to me being molested. Um, And the thing is, I always tell people, it only happened to me once. And that was it. It was the only time I experienced it, but it was enough literally to ruin my little life. It was enough to make me open up doors to things I I should have never been open to or even known about, even at such a young age. And unfortunately, when innocence is stolen, it is really stolen. You really can't take it back. And so unfortunately, it opened up years of struggles for me because this door was open. But little did I know how much it actually brought on a cloak of shame upon my life, a cloak of failure and rejection, and that it would stay with me for years and years and even be a struggle as I continued to live life really until I met Jesus. Do you know what's really funny? That was the first time I had met this young boy, and it was the last time. 
and I can tell you his name was Michael. I don't know anything else about him. I know he was a neighbor kid. It only took a random instance in my life to literally change a course of my life. And I've learned just about our own human hearts. It doesn't have to always be a series of events that changes our course. It can be a one instance, maybe even a word that was spoken over us, something very simple, a one-time incident that can bring on failure, shame, and everything else. So I will tell you the proof of my life when I got saved that I knew I was saved. So I have to be honest, I knew I wrestled with what had happened to me, but I didn't really realize the effect that it had brought onto my life or what I was carrying because of it. So when I was 15 years old, I gave my life to Jesus at a conference. I remember running down to the front and it was so intense for me. I had grew up in church, but I realized I had known about Jesus, but I really had no relationship with him. I had no connection in my heart, really, what the cross was for and how real it was for me that he died for me. So I ran to the front, gave my life to Jesus. And you know what's funny? The first thing I felt when I got up, I knew I was changed. But I remember I thought, I'm free of Michael. It was the first thing that came to my mind that I felt freedom from the shame. I felt freedom from the situation that had plagued my life, that even though it wasn't in the forefront, it was always somewhere in the background. It was always somewhere in there that I had moved on in my life, but it was only when I encountered Jesus and I gave my life to him fully and freely that all of a sudden I remember coming off the floor because I had kneeled down and gave my life to him. I walked up and the first thing that came to my mind is, I'm free of this. I am free of this situation that happened to me. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. I knew that there was something that had transpired on the inside of me that had been so radically different that even though I wasn't even aware that it was there, that Jesus in the moment of my own salvation not only set me free of my sins, but the thing that had captivated my life for so long. People just think, you know, does she follow Jesus because my grandfather was a pastor and my family? No, listen, I had a real encounter with Jesus that only he could set me free of that I wasn't even going to the cross for. But when I met Jesus at the cross, he set me free of more than I had even bargained for that I even expected. I just went because I, I responded to the sincere cry of Jesus, I want to know you. And it's always like Jesus to do more and above than what we ask, think, or imagine. And so this is why I wanted to talk about this subject today, because I felt like it was so vital. Though it's not the main verse or story that we're going to be looking at, I thought immediately of Psalm 34, 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. That is exactly how I felt, is when I came to know Jesus, that my face was never again covered with shame, that I now had joy, I had radiance in a way that I had never had because the light of his face was shining down on my heart. So this conversation that we're having today was actually started by Facebook. Good old Facebook, always there for you when you need it, while you're scrolling. And so I was scrolling through the feed and obviously I came across a friend's post about shame. And it was an article that they had posted about shame in this culture, especially sexual shame and um, and how that's real and how I have dealt with that very much so myself. And because I'll be honest, because God set me free there, 
I had to deal with years of other addictions because the door was open. And it has been a journey with Jesus in these struggles, a journey with Jesus in these struggles, um, journeys of confession, a journey of sometimes being like, oh, God, help me again. But also, you know, addictions in my life haven't just looked like sexual shame, but it opened up the door as well for food addictions and things like that, you know, and all the things that we can often deal with that it's like, Lord, I think I know better. And I was looking at the definition of shame and I thought... It was really interesting that it says it's a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, um, or impropriety. So it's a painful emotion caused by the consciousness of guilt. We feel guilty. We know that we know better. And I think that it can be the hardest thing in Christianity is that we know that we know better. And so I think sometimes the shame can sometimes increase and be worse because When we were in darkness, we knew we were in darkness. But what do you do when you deal with things, but you're living in the light? That you're going, God, I wrestle with this. I don't like it. I don't want it. Um, Or it's just like, God, I just feel so caught up with things. I just, I don't know how to get over. Maybe something happened to you that whether it's even the shame of unforgiveness or the shame of, um, you know, God, I'm disappointed and I'm disappointed with you. How do I get over this shame? I realized in the church, I was thinking about this on my drive to work, and I thought, you know, I am all about public confession, you know, especially public confession of the faith of God, I'm giving my life to you, coming forward. You know, I think there is such a something that transpires when we respond to Jesus publicly for him. But I also realized that often we can make really public professions where God really does desire us to do it in the privateness of our hearts, but even sometimes with one or two other people to help us walk through. I believe that when we confess our sins to one another, as the Bible says, that we are healed. And I do believe that that happens in that realm. But it's so hard when you don't have people walking you through the process of continual deliverance and counseling and all those things. If you don't have that in your life in that area, it can really be a stumbling block and continue to be a stumbling block where I think this is also where people start to fall away from their faith because they're thinking, God must be upset with me. God must not like me. And I'm going to tell you something that I really think is a fault of the church. I don't actually think it displays the heart of God at all. Um, It says in the Bible that God is slow to anger and rich in love. The one thing that is consistent in the Bible is how faithful he is even to his disobedient people. From Israel particularly, my goodness, how many times that God really continued to pursue them even when their hearts were hardened and their hearts were falling away. Now, did God rebuke them and then say, you know, hey, this is where you're at? Um, This is not my desire for you. Absolutely he did, because it says he disciplines those that he loves. But discipline is not the same as forsaking. And I believe that people in the church often can get weary with those who are continually in the struggle. And I do not believe that it reflects the heart of Christ. Christ doesn't go, oh, you're at this point. I give up. We're done. It's over. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you messed up again. Oh, what are you going to do now? You know, when God called you, when God called me, when God called you to come to know him, do you know that he knew at that very moment, the years of struggles that were going to be before you until you see his face again? Do you know that he who called you, it says he is faithful to do it? That we, I think as a culture are so self-sufficient that we have made our Christianity self-sufficient. 
We have made it that we rely on ourselves. Now that I'm saying, okay, God, God, I got it. I really do think that, I mean, I've been like this. I'm being honest. You know, oh God, I got it. You know, I'm going to walk in righteousness. I got it now. I'll, I'll do this. You know, I am realizing the older I get that I was never meant to leave the place of total dependency on him. I was never meant to leave the place where I can do it on my own. Because even though I have him in my life, the Holy Spirit, dependence daily on the Spirit is so necessary for every single thing. And even when I am wrestling with God, the best place I can go to is to God, to be honest, to be like, God, you know what? Because I'll be real. Let me be real with y'all real real quick, real quick. I'm going to be real, real. So I'm almost 40. I'm not married and I don't have kids, you know, and I'm honestly not necessarily doing the necessarily call that I thought I would have on my life. Well, let's be honest. That has led me to being angry very upset, very disappointed with God. And then I wrestle with the shame of being disappointed with God. Well, I know you know better. I know that you have the best plan for my life. I know that, you know, it didn't turn out the way I thought, but you're still good. And, you know, and I think that I'm realizing that I went, you know what, Lord, you don't want me to come with a fake, you know, I know that you know better. You want me to come with the wrestle and go, God, I'm upset. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why this has gone on in my life, but I only know that you can answer me. And I only know that in you, as I've seen it in my own life, that you're faithful to the end, that you're faithful to my heart, that you're faithful to my story, that you never leave me nor forsake me. It says, you know, the plans that you have for me and they're to give me a hope and to give me a future that it's not to make me feel like I'm just continually struggling because, you know, you just want me for ministry or want me for whatever to be set aside. I need the vision that can only come from your heart for my life instead of trying to pretend that I don't feel that way because I feel like I should know better to love him and to trust him. And this is my own real struggle. And maybe this is why I'm preaching to myself even through this podcast. But I believe there's real conversations to be had in God that we tend to put shame on other people for having, you know, oh, that's a negative thought, brother. That's a negative thought, sister. Don't think that. Well, you know what? I bring my negativity. My mind is renewed by Christ when I come into his word and come into his presence, not by denying the thought, but bringing the thought. And it says to bring it captive. I captivate it in knowing that he is going to speak into this thing with an honest heart before him, an honest conversation of just not replacing a thought. Replacing is not renewing. I think that, you know, as we look at even Romans 12, it talks about, you know, our sacrifice, you know, a renewed mind, um, being renewed by the word. A renewal is not just replacing. It's not just replacing a thought. A renewal is a process that literally transforms into a whole, like, as if it was your original thought, as if it was your mindset all along. It's a renewing of your mind. And that's the thing that when God delivers us also from shame, he has to renew us from what we have been having those conversations about in our own mind and our own heart to be replaced, to be in a sense replaced, but be renewed to a new, a new mindset and a new heart set. And so my my, my mom and I were talking because I were, we were talking about um, just the struggle of people being kind of given up on in the church, being given up on because they struggle. The things that I've struggled with, even as a minister and as a pastor, the things that should have dis- disqualified me time and time again, and God has brought mercy and grace into my life every single time, um, and the reflection of that, which has overwhelmed me. And honestly, that has been what has brought me 
freedom. Like I said, you know, years of codependency and all those things that I felt so disgraced to even wrestle with. But God in his mercy continued to bring people and to bring freedom into my life through actually his grace and mercy along the way. And it really wasn't him just, you know, rebuking me. But every time I thought Jesus would talk to me, I thought, here comes the rebuke. Here comes him saying, I'm done and it's over. Because, you know, the church has shown me that. And, um, and it was not, obviously, and that's not every church. I don't want to act like that's the church overall. Not every church is like that. But some of the circles that I was in, there was just such a, it was almost like the verse said, God is quick to anger and slow to love. Instead of saying that he was slow to anger and quick to love. And I remember one time I was walking through the airport and the Lord brought to my verse, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, that whole thing, slow to anger and rich in love. He is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. And I realized that when you look at Jesus and you read through it, look at how many times he did a miracle because it said he had compassion. It's over and over and over again. So we serve such a compassionate, rich, and love God. And it's actually the renewing of my mind because when we focus on failure, we focus on our inside. We're always like being like navel gazing. Um, often we can have that mindset like, oh, I'm just a failure. Oh, I'm just, you know, and, and I've had people go, well, if I just think of myself as righteous and I think, you know, I'm self-righteous. No, 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 no. It's only when I look at Jesus and what he did at the cross and everything that he's done, it's where I am changed. And so I'm going to go quickly into the whole proof of this because I, I was talking to my mom about when Jesus was talking about the sheep and he left the 99. I said, you know, we always associate him going after the one as the, the one that's lost, like as a lost soul. Um, but I said, but that was his sheep, you know? And I thought that was that was the flock. He was talking about his own sh- people. He was talking about his own shepherding, who he was shepherding. That one got out and he said, won't I go after the one? And in that context, obviously, he's even talking to oh, his, the Jewish people. But I, I think that we can often think that Jesus does extravagantly more for those who are lost than those who are in his sheep pen. No, because like I said, I think we think we know we know better. So now that we know better, because we're no longer in darkness, that we're such more a disappointment to him if we fail or if things happen. And so I want to show uh, through the, the word, I think the proof of this point completely. Now, we already know that Peter, he denied Christ three times at the cross. You know, not I, Lord, I would never deny you. And of course, then he denies him three times. So in John 21, I'm going to read this. It's going to be a little lengthy. And then we will, I feel like a pastor, we're going to come to a close after this. But we really will um, to kind of just mark this point. Um, because this is what's the word. And this is what the word really, I believe, has to say. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Galilee. So this is after he died. Uh, he rose again. So this is, you know, before the res- before he goes, ascends back to heaven. Um, but he is in his resurrected body. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and other two disciples were with were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat that night and they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
He said, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because the large number of fish. I can only imagine. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, I love, I love how John describes himself. I love that. The, he is so confident. I'm just making a point. He is so confident in God's love for him. I love that he, he just puts it in there like third person, like, who is this guy? Oh yeah, it's me. But the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning with coals and there was fish on it and some bread. I love that Jesus has, is already providing food. Let me tell you, if, if people don't tell you food is a ministry, show it right here. Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. I love that. It wasn't even small fish. The Lord gave him large fish. But even with so many, the net was torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, just as he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised from the dead. But here's the important part. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one whom had leaned against. I love John. I love he's going into all the details. I leaned against his uh, Jesus at the supper and uh, who had said, Lord, who is going to betray you. When Peter saw him, he asked, what about him? Jesus answered, I want him to remain alive until I return. What is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die, but Jesus would not say that he would not die. It was only that he wanted him to remain alive until he returned. What is that to you? This is the disciple, and I love this as John ends. This is the disciple who testifies these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. We know that this testimony is true. So this is the thing about Peter. Peter obviously loved the Lord. He loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. When I say God, we, we know we mean Jesus. He loved Jesus. You know, when he is out there fishing, I think about sometimes even what shame does to us. Sometimes shame will have us return to something that is familiar because we we don't see ourselves necessarily rightly. So not that fishing was necessarily bad or a sin. It's what he knew. But it was the thing that he went to and reverted to that was before he met Christ. God had 
shown Pe- shown Peter that he would be the rock which he would build his church. But I think even in the moments of shame, it made me think about the things that often we can draw back to because we disqualify ourselves then from the mission. We disqualify ourselves from the prize because we think, you know what, I'm not worthy of it because look at what I've done. Um, now, I don't necessarily want to assert that to Peter because it's not said in that. So I don't want to add more to the, what's being said. But it made me think of just my personal life, the times that I've been like, no, 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 I shouldn't do that. You know, I, I just, I messed up. I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not worthy of this. But you know, what's interesting to me is that in this moment, Jesus doesn't approach him with anger. He doesn't approach Peter with disappointment. He actually feeds him and, and gives him a chance to be prosperous, even in the thing that he reverted back to. But I love that when he talks to him, he reinstates him. He shows him. And I always believed that Jesus didn't need to know. Jesus knew very, very, very much that Peter loved him. I I don't think that that was ever a doubt. I don't think that this was a question for Jesus to hear and go, oh, good. I'm so glad you said it again. Oh, I'm so glad you said it again. I was, I just, I need to know one more time, Peter, do you really love me? Because I'm not confident at all about this. I just need to hear. I don't think that was ever on the table. I believe he did it so that Peter could reinstate in his own heart that he knows that that's what removed the shame is that, you know what? Cause shame usually says, you know, this isn't true because I, I don't know about you, Sometimes when I mess up, I think, God, I know that I love you, but maybe I don't because I keep messing up. You know, God, I I feel like I love you, but, you know, this thing is such a hindrance. Maybe the love isn't real. I really believe that this confession of love was not for Jesus. It was for Peter to reinstate his heart, to remind him, you know what, at the end of the day, I love God and God loves me. I really do believe that this is why Jesus asked the question to Peter. And so I believe that that's the power. That's so the power of this conversation is that he's saying, Hey, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And and it's funny because Peter was hurt because he was thinking that Jesus was asking it for his own sake, but he was asking it for Peter's sake because he wanted to remind him, Hey, I love you and you love me. Like this is never going to change. And in that moment of shame, in that moment of every single thing that he faced, he reminded him of his true calling, which was to follow after him, to be the rock that had never changed. The goal had never changed. He wasn't off course. Yes, he messed up. Yes, there was something that happened. There was things that, you know, Peter regretted that he did, that he even vowed that he would never do. And Jesus was like, listen, I know, like, listen, here's a sign that I know. Um, And, you know, and that's the thing that we can look at from the story. Jesus knows. Jesus always knows. But yet in that moment, he doesn't come to him and go, okay, well, here's plan be because you messed up on plan A. He reinstates him and goes, you know, when I called you, I knew all these things about you. And yet I'm going to affirm you again. You're called to feed my sheep. That has never changed. That has always been the plan for your life is for you to know and to see and to understand. I called you once. I did not make a mistake and I'm calling you again because this is still the plan. This is still the relationship I want with you. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to feed my lambs. I need you to be that person, Peter, for which I build my church. I didn't negate it. And so God is building his church on the person who experienced anger and shame and would still wrestle with things even 
with having to have Paul rebuke him. But God still looked at him and even in his weakness with a sincere love for God and said, this is the one I have chosen. Listen, you guys, we're never going to be perfect. I don't, I know that God is perfect and he, we, he, we must walk in holiness and God is holy, but he is only holy as he continues the work in us as we're honest and real and not denying our emotions or our feelings, but bringing them boldly to the cross and going, you know what, God, I know that I love you because maybe Jesus is asking you today as he's asked me many times, do you love me? Do you love me? Then come to me. It's never changed. I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll walk this out with you. Let's talk together. Jesus never is having things where he puts the task before the relationship. The relationship has always come first with him. You know, even for me, I'm learning that, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be on a pulpit at, or on a pulpit. Well, you know, let's be honest. I could jump on a pulpit, but I don't know if I'll ever stand behind a pulpit. Um, ever again. I I have no guarantee of that as of today. You know, I really don't. On September 17th, 2022, I have no guarantee of that. But I do know this, I love him. And that that is the most vital thing in my life is that if I never even live out the rest of my call, the thing that I feel called to, the thing that I hope and pray that happens in my life, because I want to do it for Jesus, but let's be honest, I kind of want to do it for myself. Um, and, and that's a real thing too. And there's no, I'm just honest with the Lord. I'm like, listen, I want this because I want this for myself. Some of it's for validation for myself for whatever selfish reasons. I have tons of selfish reasons to do things for Jesus. We all do. We all do. We all have dreams, but we also have things that God has put inside every single human heart to long for. That is love, family. There's a lot of other things that we can add into those things that God has built inside all of us that when we're not denied it, it does feel like it just rubs up against the reason that we were called to live. And those things are still the things that God wants to talk out with us and to wrestle out with us and to affirm us in and to reinstate the vision and the goal that it has never changed. And, you know, things might not happen in the season, but and sometimes they won't happen at all. I think there are some things that might not happen at all, but not now is not a not ever. And, and that's the thing that I think with God, we can only wrestle out is even when it says, Hey, it's not now, but that doesn't mean that it's not ever. And there's in wrestling with the Lord in the season, because we can only live in the present season that we're in, being content in the season where we're in right now. And the Lord wants to do it, do it in us. We want to be content without shame and without a fear, fear of failure or feel, feeling like a failure. Because when God looks at you and me, he already knows about you. He already knows about me. He wants you to live in freedom and he wants you to live in life. And so I, I always want to have this moment because, you know, like I said, when I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus removed shame from my life immediately. It was like, I was like, whoa, what just happened? And so if you're listening today, two things. Obviously, if someone's listening to this, and you could be, uh, that you have never, 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 never made a decision to follow Jesus. Or you're like me. Listen, I was a church kid who had grown up hearing the gospel over and over and over, but it was in a moment where God apprehended my heart and I went, yo, you're real and you really died on the cross for my sins. Um, I believe that you did. And I came to know him through that. I'm going to pray for you. And because this is a divine moment and I don't want to 
miss that with you because I'm telling you, Jesus will change your life and it will be radical. And sometimes it isn't as radical as like, you know, you might feel like you wake up and you're completely like, oh, you know, because I, like I said, I still wrestled with things after him, but I can tell you the change that it made when I gave my life initially to him. Woo. Night and day different, y'all. Night and day different. But secondly, for those who have been like me, who have been in the church, but you know, you're thinking, I know better. I, you know, the consciousness of guilt, uh, it, it just plagues me. I want to pray for you today too. And so uh, let's pray together. And then we are going to close out like I promised, like a pastor. So um, let's let's pray together. So if you're listening to this uh, and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, to really give your life to him wholeheartedly, today is your day. And today is the day of salvation, as Jesus said. And so I just want to uh, pray with you and, and, and to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose from the grave, that you took on my sins and that you are the way to eternal life, that I was made for a relationship with you. And I invite you now to be the Lord of my life, that I lay down every other Lord in my life that was ruling and had control of me. I renounce the kingdom of Satan in my life. And I ask that you, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Would you fill me now? Would you fill me now with your spirit? Would you fill me now with your love and your power and your presence? Lord, I just ask that you would make my heart your home. I thank you for this work. In Jesus' name, amen. And let me pray for those that are uh, struggling and, and maybe, you know, you're just like, man, I need the prayer today. Well, Lord, I just ask right now for those who are listening that maybe they have had shame written upon, upon their faces. Thank you, like we opened up with that psalm. Uh, that says that those who look to Jesus, their faces are radiant without shame, Father. I thank you that right now their hearts are turned towards you. Even if their physical face isn't turned towards you, their physical heart is, Lord God. And I, I ask her, their spiritual heart, God, is turned towards you. And I just pray right now that you would just minister to them, that you would break off shame and fear. I pray that just like you did with Peter when you reinstated him in the place of his own failure, in the place of his own shame, that you came to him and reminded him of his true identity and who he was. I pray that you would do that again today for my friends. I pray that you would remind them of your love for them, for the call on their life, that you would remind them again of how much you enjoy and cherish them. Lord, I just ask today that you would do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if I shared this, but I'm going to share this. Um, it took me, I got saved at 15. It took me till I was 18 to confess what happened to me to my family. And it was life-changing. Oh, the grace and the mercy. And oh, I know they felt so bad um, because they couldn't do anything. But you know, God really, between family and, and some people listening might not have a solid family to talk to or things like that. But God really has a family of affection, the church body that he really does use in our lives to to be that extension of grace and community. And I would really encourage you that if you have somebody in your life that you trust and that you know that you've been dealing with shame, to have that conversation. There really is something about talking it out with someone out of the person, definitely who knows Jesus, um, that they can be an extension of his mercy and shame and um, pray for you as well to walk you through what you're feeling and to to speak God's word over you. And particularly if it's a church leader that you trust or even just a family member that you just like, you know what, we need to have a conversation. 
Um, I think it's highly encourageable um, on my end, and I and I have found freedom in my life because of it as well. So anyways, well, next week we're starting a whole new series and I just wanted to have this conversation with you today while it was on my heart, but it's been a minute since it's just been me and you and I've missed it. I've missed you so much. So anyways, hope you uh, have a great week and I'll look forward to seeing you next time on What's the Word. Thanks again for listening to What's the Word, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this message, I would encourage you to share it with someone you think that it might encourage as well. And make sure you hit like and subscribe. I also want to remind you that only on Spotify every month, there is a music playlist that features some of the best in Christian music and gives you behind the scenes about songs and some of your favorite Christian artists. This month is a blend of crossover music, those who have been both in mainstream and Christian music. I look forward to seeing you next time on What's the Word, the podcast.